and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? I am joined today by uh, Noel Seaman, who is Manager Insurance and Risk with Federated Cooperatives Limited in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. And Noel, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Mike. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, Noel. And uh, as a uh, as a former president of RIMS, you've had quite a career, which I'm looking forward to talking about here today. You know, I thought we would start, as I do with most people, with just kind of a little bit about how you got your start in the insurance and risk management field. So maybe you could talk about your first job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, like many, I I hadn't planned on being in insurance or risk management. I didn't really, like many, many people out of school, didn't know really what I wanted to do. And I had been involved in a number of things and I was actually ended up managing a small business in another industry when the owner of that business asked me if I'd like to transfer to his insurance brokerage operation that he ran as a separate company. He was a former property and casualty insurance company executive and he placed a lot of emphasis on professional education and he encouraged me to pursue studies and credentials through the Insurance Institute of Canada. And uh, so I had a, I had good encouragement, good direction from the start and started to learn the insurance business that way. Now, uh, after a few years, I had the opportunity to become a partner at another con- company that owned an insurance brokerage and some other related businesses. So as one of five partners, directors of that company, I had responsibility for oversight of not only the insurance brokerage operation, but the IT and HR functions in business. So all of those activities taught me a lot about being in business, relating with customers, dealing with, you know, supply chain and and things like that. And throughout throughout all that activity, I continued to pursue my education in that area, eventually gaining the Chartered Insurance Professional designation through the Insurance Institute of Canada, as well as the Canadian Risk Management Diploma that I I achieved through the University of Toronto. Excellent. So I was going to talk a little bit about designations and such and, you know, kind of compare the Canadian versions of designations versus the U.S. versions, um, you know, because here in, in the States, you know, we talk about the CPCU and the ARM and such. What would you say are the comparable designations in Canada? Yeah, well, the, certainly the Chartered Insurance Professional, the CIP through the, the Insurance Institute of Canada, is equivalent to the uh, CPCU by the institutes in the U.S., and the Canadian Risk Management Diploma uses the same texts as the Fundamental 3 ARM 
courses to get your ARM designation. So they're very equivalent. And there are a couple of other uh, certifications that I've pursued that I know we talked about. One is the fellow chartered insurance professional, which is an advanced standing advanced designation. So they add a number of prescribed courses to that, depending on where you want your focus to be. The traditional structure of the course that I took focused on risk management as well, which which was very interesting to me. That's what that's what motivated me to do it. I think I think these days it's mostly focused on business management in insurance and risk industry. The latest thing that I, I was able to achieve a few years ago was the uh, RIMS Certified Risk Management Professional Certification. Now, it, it is a certification, professional certification, so it's a little different in that it, conti- it has a continuing education requirement that you have to certify every couple of years, as well as commitment to a code of ethics. And I've found that all of these are a combination have complemented each other. They're all different aspects of what we do. Yeah, so the RIMCRMP is a relatively recent addition to the certifications that are out there. Yeah, that's right. In fact, there, there are a few different risk management professional certifications that are out there in, in various international jurisdictions. But the RIMCRMP is the only risk management certification that is ANSI ISO certified. So that there's a there's a standard. So we we believe that the body of knowledge, although it may be equivalent and whatnot, the certification uh, with the RIMCRMP is a very credible thing. And indeed, I'm starting to see job postings where they're asking for it. So uh, it's it, it is continuing to grow. Yes, yes. No, I, I agree. And uh, I was actually, uh, I had some involvement in, in that development as well. And uh, and to me, you know, from what I can gather from that is that it seems to be uh, an example of having a more strategic way of looking at risk, as opposed to a straight insurance way of looking at risk. Oh, for sure. In fact, you know, the focus, focus in my career, although I did start out in the insurance brokerage, the years since when I when I became a risk management professional, you know, I, I I started with the University of Saskatchewan, which is a medical doctoral research oriented university in Canada. And when I joined there, they were hiring their first ever full time person in insurance and risk management. And so it was all new to them. And the focus as as I was there, while they were thinking mainly that insurance was risk management, creating the understanding that risk management is is a process and a discipline that we apply to many risks, whether they're insurable or not. And in fact, it was important to have a, a a comprehensive view of the risks the organization was facing. So I've always uh, I've always had some responsibility for most of my life I've had responsibility within risk management for oversight of the insurance function as well. We see that as a subset of risk management. The the RIM CRMP is very much linked to uh, as a risk management professional being able to understand your organization's culture, strategy, and objectives and look for ways to apply the risk management process and and tools and resources 
to to help the organization achieve their goals and also you know uh, be able to better assess decisions, strategy, things like allocation of capital. So it insurance is is very important and organizations that I've worked for see it as a critical, you know, you have to be able to do insurance well. And and fortunately there are many many insurance or risk insurance professionals who can do that. It's a little bit more evolving in the last decade or so uh, the focus on on helping uh, using risk information to provide insight into strategy and decision making. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting how, you know, you're really differentiating between straight insurance versus risk management. That and and if I heard you correctly, you're saying that insurance is really a subset of risk management. That's right. Insurance is, of course, a very important, you know, financing risk, how you're going to finance the impact of risk is a very important, you know, very important even to the survival of a, a corporation. It's got to be done right. Uh, but you realize that risk financing is is more on the on the treatment side. You know, how do we how we how do we reduce uh, losses? How do we mitigate risk? And how do we ensure that there is an adequate way to pay for the impact of that risk and the impact against the company's bottom line so it'll continue to survive or operate and those sort of things. Whereas the broader discipline is more about taking that same process where we identify risks, we try to determine which are the ones that we need to be caring about the most through through various kinds of assessments and and then deciding, okay, so so which ones need additional mitigation and work. But it's important to note that, you know, and I've, I've seen a lot of this, the corporate executive board had a study a while back and they had, they had noted that about 60, that about 65% of the risks that have caused a decline in company value of 25% or greater were strategic risks rather than your, your hazard risks or your operational risks. So those that's where the big stuff really lies. And so as you evolve in your career, I mean, you certainly do need to know how to, you know, the person that has a charge of the insurance risk function has some very considerable technical skills and has to be able to do that well and communicate that well and interact across the company as as you, if you move into a more of an enterprise-wide approach or more of a strategic, you know, dealing more on the strategic and decision-making levels, you need to have have different skills and be able to understand, you know, not only the hazard risks, like how to prevent a safety loss or a, or a fire, or the, these kinds of things, which are very important, but you also need to be able to understand more on the macro level, like risks that are external to the company that may be beyond its control and, and how should those be viewed and what can be done to ensure that you're in good shape against those. So risks that are out of your control outside the company, so that could be things like uh, political risk, I suppose? Absolutely. It could, be change in, it could be change in the regulatory regime in a particular jurisdiction, but it could also be economic risks like you know the, the financial meltdown in 07, 08, or even the pandemic, the impact of uh, the current COVID-19 pandemic on the, on the economy. These are, these are risks. I mean, we, we certainly internally, 
We're protecting our employees. We are we are doing the things we can to ensure that we continue to conduct business as effectively as possible, considering you know the various constraints and public health emergency and whatnot. But then there's the the external aspect of pandemic where you have dramatic impact on demand, particularly if you're in the energy industry or you know, definitely in the food and beverage and hospitality, tra- travel, tourism. I mean, these are these are huge impact on the econ- or on the uh, on the uh, operations of organizations that rely on those things. So, but both are important to understand and identify. And depending on your scope and your role in your job with your organization, you may have accountability for oversight of how we're looking at all categories of risk. You may be risk specific. I mean, in my, in my uh, uh, activity instructing some of the CRMP courses, I've, you know, there are IT safety or IT security people coming. There are people who are in operational excellence, people who are in safety as well as many insurance risk management people and enterprise risk management people. So it's really, I think, to be an effective risk manager, what I gather from this is that, you know, you really need to have a very broad perspective and, and you probably need to be very collaborative. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. The ability to collaborate, communicate, to be able to inter- effectively interact, but also this curiosity, you know, to to making sure that, you know, so I guess I, I just thought of it, you could have three C's, communication, collaboration, and and then curiosity. And I think a strong risk manager at whatever level they're at should endeavor to understand the strategy the goals and the objectives of their company, their current biggest initiatives and biggest challenges, as well as their culture. Culture is so important in in establishing the attitude towards risk in a company. Yeah, no, I think that what I hear about risk managers struggling with is trying to change that culture. So if you if you have a traditional culture where you know they think about risk as really just insurance, and and as a risk manager you're really trying to be more strategic and get people to think about risk in a more proactive way, right? So how do you how do you transition your organization in that direction? Well, it isn't done. It, it usually isn't done in in a short time frame because it it unless there's some driving uh, force that compels you to do that. But I would say change management. If I look at the principles of change management, one of those is helping people understand the need for whatever change you want to head toward and what the value would be. So really starting from that that standpoint. Culture, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, uh, there's a saying in business, that said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And of course, it it doesn't mean literally. Mm-hmm. What it means is that you can have the best strategy in the world, but if it is a strategy that isn't going to work within your work culture, it's, it'll fail. And this is very much true for building a risk management program uh, and or culture. And that is 
first of all, identifying and understanding explicitly the culture and objectives of your company, and certainly understanding the current state of what's being done for risk. You might not even have uh, much of a, a risk management program, or you may be just starting one, but there's definitely risk is being dealt with. So understanding how risk is being viewed and dealt with, and then understanding by understanding that current state, the risk management professional can engage uh, people who are risk-interested functions, let's just say, as well as those that are at the at the uh, senior management level, helping engage in, okay, so we want to move from here to uh, a higher state where we're more effective. Understanding you know, past failures, understanding key objectives and what could support that kind of growth is really, really important. And then framing your 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 next steps around you know the understanding within the culture. Like how how can we do this within our culture in a way that's really going to work? As an example, you know, when I worked for the University of Saskatchewan, and that was before I you know, I, I worked there for quite a number of years because the job kept changing. We kept on evolving, had great uh, senior management support and trust and a really good agenda of building at the time. Later on, I, I, I decided to make the move to a publicly traded company because I knew that, you know, that would be very challenging. I'd learn a lot there. So I moved to a company called Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan that was the largest miner of, of potassium in the world and also had substantial positions in phosphate and nitrogen uh, manufacture. And the, the company eventually met, merged with another company to become Nutrien, where I worked for the last few years. But the interesting thing there is that at the university, we were part of the administrative, the vice president of finance and resources, which is very much all the HR and finance and administration, safety and, and that kind of a thing. But as we were starting an enterprise risk management program, we realized that, you know, really the VP of finance and resources really doesn't have any clout when it comes to implementation at a cultural level. Who does? Well, the provost uh, of the university, which is essentially the boss of the deans, let's just say. So like the chief operations officer. So we chose to to go to the provost and say, you know, we'd like you to champion this. And he had had some real desire to see some changes in risk. He was tired of someone showing up saying, we need a million dollars to fix you know, the fume hoods in this lab. And and then next week, somebody had showed up with another ask. And he wanted a context for resource allocation. He, he wasn't able to understand at the time, well, which risk is more important? You know, I have competing asks here. And so we said, this will help provide that portfolio view of the risks. We'll do all of the work, but we need your active involvement and support. And he, and he did. And he, you know, he came to all of our workshops. He emphasized to the senior leaders that reported to him why this was important. He got it. And it made our job just uh, so much more effective. If you're in an environment where your organization is not yet at that point, not ready, doesn't really see the value. I would say the job is to understand understand the culture of the company, understand the objectives, and then look at how you can help others understand the value that risk management could provide. 
Yeah, that's a really great point. And that, you know, first of all, if the if the head of the organization or the most influential person in the organization can get behind this, then it really paves the way for you to get people's attention and get them to take you seriously. Conversely, yeah. if you can't if you don't have that support, I think you could probably beat your head against the wall. It's never gonna happen. Well, there's there's a saying, Mike, if there's no wind, row. And and I've always felt that there are times when it's when when the decision will be made and you've laid the groundwork, it's taken some initial time and can be a couple of years, can be a few years, you know, where where you can understand the value did, you can lay those foundations, you can bring the conversation up, and you have to have a balance there. I mean, obviously, if if your senior leader or leaders don't really see it as a priority, then the best you can do is really do a good job of of working within the scope of your current position while trying to help others see the value. And then there'll come a point at some point, either it can either sometimes even be a change in leadership, but oftentimes it can be, you know, a board asking a question saying, you know, how come we aren't doing more about risk management that brings it up on that priority list? I mean, in the worst case, it can be a you know, a significant failure. And they say, well, how come we're not doing enough about risk management, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's a great point, actually, you know, and I do think that if you don't have senior management support initially, it would be more natural to try to, you know, work through um, maybe from the bottom up in terms of developing uh, an appreciation for an understanding of what risk management could really be. But ultimately, you're right in that if if the board wants it done or S starts asking the right questions, the whole world can change for risk management. And, yeah. you know, um, we used to say that, you know, the problem with risk management sometimes is if nothing bad happens, you never get to see how helpful risk management can really be. And, that's you know, right. You know, so you, you don't you don't wish a pandemic on anyone, that's for sure. But, you know, certainly any companies that have had foresight and, and you know, a strong business continuity pr- plan are seeing the benefits of that right now. And, and anyone that that, you know, stood in the way of investing in those areas probably is feeling a little heat right now. Yeah, certainly. And, and and really the business continuity and emergency response thing, because unless you're facing one, oftentimes it's pretty easy for management to put it on the side of their desk or to say, well, you know, well, we'll get to it. It'll be in there. But uh, then all of a sudden, a sudden onset can can have a dramatic impact. Absolutely. It makes me think that when you have com- public companies in particular that seem to be managing oftentimes quarter to quarter, and really focused on shareholder value. It seems that that is sometimes in conflict with a risk management strategy, which tends to be a longer term strategy. Well, yeah, and and I think the same holds true in other disciplines in the organization as well. And it even holds true in politics. You know, it seems politicians are focusing on the shorter term electoral cycle rather than dealing with the long term strategic problems of of perhaps of of a nation the uh but i do think i do think you are right is is but i do think organizations have moved to i i've certainly seen over the last decade or or even two decades a move to explicit strategic planning and organizations that used to you know deal on the strength of a smart ceo 
the the CEO is having more of a team approach. There's more of a strategic uh, direction over a five-year period. And then also communicating that with your shareholders as to the direction you're heading, as well as creating that value, you know, you, that you also need to invest in where the company is going and, and the future growth. So, so I think, I think it's a, I think in that aspect, just from my experience, it's a bit easier these days in that regard, but you're right. Uh, A lot of times we say that we value long-term growth and sustainability, and yet we reward our managers on, uh, you know, with, with bonuses linked quarters and, and annual. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, it is depending really on, on, I think the perspective of the people running the company, and it, it makes me think about you know the question of what would what is the ideal reporting structure for a risk management department? You know who should the risk man who should the leader of the risk management department report to ideally? Well, you know that's a good question, and I, I know if I were to answer it, I'd probably give you the wrong answer. Hmm. The <laughs> but you know. I'd say there really isn't a single ideal reporting structure, Mike. I've seen very effective, highly effective risk management programs and practices under a variety of reporting structure. I think, you know, and and I want to, I'll give an example. When, When I started as director of global risk management at Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, I was reporting to a, a v, senior VP chief risk officer that reported directly to our chief executive officer. So that was a fairly high, like I was, I was two steps from the CEO as a director. And so I don't think that you could be more highly placed in the role that I was in. However, you know, it, it certainly was interesting that there is, you, you can observe there's a lot of competition for the CEO's attention and resources, and their bandwidth is very much tuned into strategy and, and, you know, effective operations and shareholder relations and a number of things like that. So while risk management was certainly viewed as really important, you know, important enough to be put at that level, it, uh, we weren't as effective as we wanted to be. Within about a year and a half, the the department was restructured to report, the, the chief risk officer was restructured to report under the chief financial officer. Now, in that case, the chief financial officer had been, you know, an icon of the company, been there for a long, long time, and very well known, and but was, importantly, was extremely interested in improving our approach to risk management across the organization and having it complement strategy and the business planning processes. So he had a real vision for making sure that these functions were cross-pollinating in the organization. And we found that with the resources that the that the CFO's office had, as well as their infrastructure, network, and actually line authority in some cases, that, that it was far more effective building the function within that framework rather than more highly placed. Yeah, that's um that, that's really interesting as well. So I, I think, you know, ultimately it really comes down to, you know, the 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 people in the organization that want to get behind risk management and and can be influential 
in the organization. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and what I found in in the cases of of all of the risk management places I've worked, there's always somebody. It's not necessarily the CEO. The CEO would be very could be very supportive, but you usually find a champion or even a couple of champions around that C-suite table, people who are very risk interested. And given some dialogue, if you have some opportunity to engage them on on what you think risk management can do. And importantly, you have to be prepared as a as a practitioner to be able to to deliver those or know where to go to get them delivered in, in order to do that. And usually you'll start to see a really great traction when you've got a champion around that C-suite table that has the credibility and the communication skills in order to bring it up at the critical moments in discussion about decisions and strategy. So when uh, when the board is getting involved in looking at risk management, what kinds of things do they typically like to hear about and what, what are they looking for from risk management? Well, it depends on the board, Mike, you know, and, and boards will differ. Uh, I had a CEO one time tell me, well, boards are going to do what they're going to do and they're going to be interested in what they're interested in. But there are some fundamental things that the the guidelines for improved corporate governance in Canada, you know, uh, around the same time, like in in the, the 90s and and some of the breakdowns in corporate governance that you've seen at various times there's been a lot of reflection and in the US of course over time that was reflected in things like the the Dodd-Frank and Sarbanes-Oxley requirements and and better what do you call regulatory view on on what organizations are telling their stakeholders about risk and what they're doing about risk in Canada, there was this one of the one of the guidelines for improved corporate governance years ago was they want to know the board members, you know, what should board members be doing about risk? Well, they should know the principal risks facing the organization and what is being done about them. So I would say at its core, risk management needs to ensure they're supporting that for the board. The board has to know have a good idea. They they shouldn't be getting any horrific surprises if it can be avoided. Now, I realize that's not always possible, but you're trying to minimize large surprises. You're trying to make them aware of the key risks, regardless of what category they're in, uh, getting, giving them an idea of what are driving those risks. What are the, what are the, you know, how, how big are they and how likely are they? How big of an impact and and also what's being done about them what's the plan and who's accountable importantly through the organization who's accountable for that now i found that you know when you when you're first creating a what they call an, an enhanced risk management program some people call it enterprise risk management but there's many organizations that don't use that terminology that uh, you know whether they use the iso 31000 guidelines and simply call it risk management there's, there's many words for it, but when you're moving towards a more evolved uh, risk management program, at the very core, you need to be able to provide that. And the board usually wants more detail along that line. Now, after a few cycles, you'll find the board becomes less, less engaged in the granular because they're more familiar with it. I think it's important for the risk manager or risk management to make that information available for the board should they want to drill down to it at any moment. But they they become more interested, certainly on emerging risks, 
Like, what do we see? What's starting to change? What do we, you know, what developments have we seen over the last year that would cause us to think this risk is changing or could change dramatically? And what do we need to do about that? What do we need to know about that? And and that's that's akin to the descript the the idea of of having some disrupt uh, dis discussion around disruptors, and then I think importantly being able to bring some some insight from risk management, just as finance brings insight into the implications of major capital allocations, major projects, uh, major strategy initiatives, risk management should be bringing insight. I've heard it said that from people in the C-suite that, you know, I get a lot of data, but I don't get a lot of information. So, so I think really the focus needs to be when we're communicating, realizing they have the constraints of time. They also, you also have too little of their time to be able to communicate information with in, insight. You know, what are, what, what's the salient point of this particular risk area, you know, and, and it, it certainly takes time to evolve. And I've certainly looked to a number of my colleagues that have been great practitioners to find ways to try to do that. So, you know, bringing the insight is such a hugely valuable point, I have to say, because I think about it from my own personal perspective. When I'm dealing with candidates at all different levels, you know, and they're putting their resumes together and they're preparing for interviews and such, and I'm, and I'm always saying the same thing. I mean, I don't think a day goes by that I don't make this point with a candidate that it's so critical to not only indicate what your responsibilities have been, but to indicate what the value has been in your doing these things. What's the impact been? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, Mike. That message just never gets old, I think. For well, it, have you seen Have you seen that it seems to even be, there, there's even a, more of a requirement, not only to talk about your results, but to provide some quantification idea around them when people are are engaging, you know, that's, that's the other piece is, okay, tell me, tell me what you did. Well, I provided this, but you know, what does that tell someone who wants to, to hire you? You know, it's, it's better to be able to say, okay, so, you know, as part of this, I was able to optimize our risk program and we were able to have a better idea on our, on our cost of risk. And we saw our, a incidence decline from you know x down to x rate per per annum you have to be able to provide something like that of course you have to be a little bit careful because you know you're not you can't divulge uh, confidential information but you do have to be able to give it the indication as to what was your value to the company how much did you actually save them in doing this yeah definitely you have to you have to provide some context around these things yeah absolutely uh, and it, so it, it stands to reason, you know, if you're going to meet with the board or you're going to meet with the C-suite, that you have to do the same thing there, mm-hmm. you know, to throw a bunch of data out, you know, without providing some context and insight around it, I think is is really going to, you know, diminish your value in the eyes of those people. Yes. And, and I think if, if risk managers want to be in the C-suite on a more regular basis, then uh, I think from everything I'm hearing, it would serve them well to think more carefully about the insight part and the value that they bring to the table. 
Yes. Well, understand how they think. I mean, in in most most large cap corporations, meetings don't typically last less than a half hour or often don't last last less than a half hour. And the expectation is when the risk manager shows up that 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 she or he has done their homework, that they that the that the senior person you're meeting with doesn't have to explain their objectives that you have gone out and and found out what those are and found out why this stuff is what's most meaningful to them and understanding their world so that you can you can get right to to important stuff absolutely absolutely so you know the preparation part is so key you know so that you walk in if you i mean really if you, if you have less than a half hour most often then you know you don't have time to to kind of ask a bunch of questions that you maybe should have asked before to be able to, you know, address those issues. So, you you know, it's really, it's so similar to preparing for an interview, you know, and taking mm-hmm. the hiring manager's perspective and what is it you think they're going to care about and what do they need to know? And if you were the hiring manager or, you know, if you were the CFO and, and you were, you know, be receiving a presentation, what would you be looking for? What's going to yeah, be important absolutely. to you? Absolutely. And, and, and that, that to me is the whole key to success at any level um, from junior to senior is having that perspective. Yes, you wouldn't go you wouldn't go out onto the football field without knowing the game plan. No, no, you wouldn't. At least you wouldn't have a, a good chance of success if that's the way you <laughs> Yeah, operate. maybe maybe you would, but it wouldn't be a good idea. Right, right. The, You'd uh, have to be a spectacular athlete. <laughs> Well, even then, you know, and you've raised a really good point is that, you know, when I, when people who are new to the, the profession or younger, you know, some of our rising risk professionals uh, ask me, you know, about, about an opportunity and whatnot, I, I encourage them to do their homework, dig deep, but also ask questions and really understand as a risk professional, one of the worst positions you could put yourself in is, is being the wrong person for a job. And, and so it's important to understand what, what is the company, where are they at in their risk management? How, you know, how are they resourced? What are they looking to achieve? And, and what are the key, you know, the key few things that they like to see you achieve in the next six months, in the next year, in the next two years, really get an understanding. What are their pressure points? What are they really trying to solve here? And it'll give you an idea as to whether or not this is going to really fit with your career track. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great point as well. Uh, Cause you really want to know what you're walking into, you know, not just in the immediate short term, but in the long term as well. Yeah. We all want to provide value. And, you know, it goes to the point where I, I, re- I really do think one of the keys in, in my career has to be prepared to serve my company and support their objectives, even though sometimes it may not have been exactly the, the thing I was planning. And an example of that was, you know, I was in a position, I'd been there a couple of years, and there was a very large macro change in the economy around the product that we were making and they had a workforce reduction and they ended up, you know, the director of insurance at the time I was only doing enterprise risk and operational risk. And then uh, the insurance risk person, the insurance, the corporate insurance department was ended up without a leader through that reduction. They said, well, you're, you're the only other person in the company that, that we've got that we know that has, you know, depth of experience in insurance. Would you do this for us? Uh, take it on. And of course, it, the, the insurance function has a lot 
a lot of moving parts usually and, and requires a lot of emphasis. So I knew it was going to impact my involvement in the enterprise risk because you simply will not have quite enough time. But nonetheless, they needed it and it needed to create some value for them. And so you do these things because sometimes your company needs you. You know, and 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 in the end, that'll serve you very well for your success down the road. Yeah, no, that's that's very very true. And I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about people that I know that have survived merger after merger and layoff after after layoff. And what is it that makes them or enables them to stay in their jobs or with their companies, maybe in different jobs, but while other people are are quick to be laid off? And I think a lot of it is you know perceived value by as broad a uh, spectrum of individuals as as you can as you can achieve and you know there's one person in particular I'm thinking about who you know moved from department to department and basically wherever there was a problem they would put him and he had to go and and ask a lot of questions develop relationships and figure out the solution and and turn things around and he did that consistently year after year after year for company after company no matter who owned the company no matter who his manager was and you know, having that kind of track record makes you a completely invaluable individual, no matter what happens. Yeah, cer- certainly. I mean, obviously, whoever you know, if you if you're taken over, if you're acquired by a company, or if there's a merger, and you know, if if all of a sudden you get four or five head nods around any particular table, oh yeah, no, he's he's done a great job. He knows the company, he has the the political credibility and ability to communicate. I mean, you're right. There, you've got an edge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what the the let's say the old school way of managing your career, at least as far as insurance and risk management was, if you were the only person in the company that understood insurance and risk, you figured you had a good chance of surviving. But when that company merges, and now your your management is faced with a choice. If they don't really understand the value that you bring beyond the basics of your role, well, you're going to be in jeopardy. Yeah, you have to be, you have to, along the way, don't, you know, I, I think it's important to be humble and it's important to listen. And, and, you know, of course, nobody likes someone who's blowing their horn too much, but I do think it is important to communicate your successes and also in your own mind. Uh, whether whether it's for the position your your next position or or what, being in being sure that you're able to track the value you've added along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. So I realize we've uh, we've gone longer than I typically go with these things. So I I really enjoyed speaking with you uh, about all of this. I think we could keep going for quite a while, and uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll do a follow up to this uh, once we get through the uh, pandemic, I suppose. And, Perhaps life will get back to some semblance of normalcy. But I want to thank you very much for your time, Noel. It's been great talking with you, and and I hope we can do it again. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, and best of luck to uh, all of those people out there that are working on their risk management careers. I hope you'll, you know, I, I don't want to toot too hard for RIMS, but I do. RIMS is a great place to get to know other professionals and how they've done what they've done. So I'd certainly encourage your interaction there. Great. Well, well, thank you very much for that. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. 
and if you have any specific career related questions please post them or send an email directly to mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com he may even answer your question on the show when you subscribe you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available hope you join us next time